It's time to strap in for another edition of the Cars Guide podcast, the show that takes you beyond the test drive. This is episode number 229, top 10 JDM models that should come to Australia. I'm Cars Guide Deputy Editor James Cleary and joining today to look at the Japanese domestic market models that should be in local showrooms are News Editor Tung Nguyen and the Sparky heading up our EV guide, Tom White. No, I'd be careful about calling me a Sparky, but hi. Yes, no, you'll you'll do it for cash, um, depending on the job, right? Um, we'll also take a look at the fresh metal we've been driving this weekend, unearth comment of the week. YouTubers, you can jump ahead to each section of the show via the time codes in the notes or chapter markers in the timeline. So let's go. This is another game of automotive show and tell because each of us has identified three JDM models and we don't know each other's nominees. Uh, what we do know is there are no double ups or overlaps because Tung, you've commissioned a story looking at this exact topic. Um, yes. And we've had colleague Justin Hilliard collating the votes, just like Arthur Anderson at the Oscars. Mm-hmm. But um, actually that didn't end well, but I think, <laughs> I think we'll be okay. So the plan is to take turns announcing a contender until all nine are on the table and then a jointly agreed 10th nomination will round out uh, the list. So I want to start with you, Tong. It's, Tong, so we don't know. We don't know what each other's are. So this will be a surprise for everybody. Okay. Kick, kick us off with your first JDM contender for the Aussie market. I'm glad you guys are because this one is going to blow you away. Okay. The first one I think should come here is the Nissan Note, specifically the Nismo version. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, Nissan, Nissan has, has, you know, Nissan has uh, left the passenger car market. They don't do hatchbacks. They don't do sedans. It's all SUVs and utes for them at the moment, aside from the all-electric Leaf, of course, um, and their sports cars. But they need to play in that space. If they want to be a genuine top five contender against the likes of Toyota, Mazda, Hyundai, they, I, I think they need to have a small car. And the Note fits the bill. I've okay. talked about bringing the Note e-power here to Australia before, uh, you know, years and years and years ago. It never materialized. But I think now is the time because the Note Nismo is e-powered. So it means that there's a there's a small, I think it's a 1.2 litre petrol engine that powers the electric motors. The electric motors then drive the wheels. So oh, okay. It feels like an okay. car. Yep. But uh, you don't have to charge it. You, you, you go to any service station, you know, fill it up with petrol and away you go. So no, no parallel running. The motor is purely a generator yep. for, yeah, okay, gotcha. Yep. So it solves that problem that, us Aussies have of long charge times and extended drive distances, uh, you can run it like a normal car, but still have the benefit of it feeling like an EV and it having lower emissions. What do you guys think? I think you're on the money. I mean, it's, I suppose it's not, it won't, it'll come up occasionally during our chat, but I think there's a whole part of the market that's been vacated by the brands that we're familiar with. Mm-hmm. is rapidly being filled in by the brands that we're not familiar with. Yes. So there's a conscious decision to say, oh, we're all going to move up market and leaves this opportunity, uh, I think, that others, particularly newer Chinese brands, are, are grabbing with both hands. So I, I think it would be a canny move. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. And I, I really like the note. Like I, I, last time I was over in Japan, I saw a whole bunch of them and I just thought that they were great little fun cars and e-power is something that we don't have here yet um but it, it you know it's a different kind of hybrid technology which sort of promises something a bit more different a little bit more on the electric electric side of the mm. sort of driving equation than it is 
on the combustion side. So I think it's a cool little car. It's really interesting. And I agree. I think it's a segment that has been abandoned by uh, Japanese automakers just sort of generally. Mm. Um, and it's a bit of a shame because, you know, we miss out on, you know, interesting, fun little cars like this. I suppose the marketing campaign writes itself, doesn't it? You know, you hit the right note. It'd be some kind of musical. Who knows? Or unfortunate if you do have a crash. Um, yes, you've, you've hit the wrong note there. <laughs> okay, that's a great start. Um, so, Tom, number two, would you please give us your first contender? Okay, well, I just think this one's a, a massive no-brainer because it has to be the number one grey import at the moment. Yep. It's Toyota Alphard, right? Okay. <laughs> Big people mover. We've got the Granvia instead, which yes. makes sense. Yep. From like a great big point of view of, you know, uh, we need to plan our models for the market and whatever because it shares, you know, all of its panels and parts and stuff. The Toyota High Ace and you need a High Ace, obviously. Uh, mm. Is it enjoying the success, the sales success of the Tarago? You know, I would say no. And I think this car fills that gap perfectly, mainly because it makes so much sense because it's a hybrid. You can have it with a 2.5 liter hybrid drivetrain. It looks the business. To anyone who doesn't know, essentially, this is a people mover Toyota crown. So yep. there are other people movers in Toyota's lineup, but this one is the boss this one's the big luxury hybrid it's smooth it's slick there's a lexus version of it now so i don't know maybe never say never well i mean it's interesting you raised the point about the tarago because uh once you know i think about one percent of the market was people movers but um all of that was tarago and toyota kind of seeded that off to honda and now kia tends to to dominate in that space they do need something to take the um the role of a tarago See, while I agree with you, Tom, the Alphard would be very cool here, you know, I think it would just be positioned too highly. You know, mm. we saw the Tarago, you know, at a certain price point, and when that was replaced by Grandia, it kind of took a step up. I think Alphard would even take a step up above that and just kind of price out most of those, you know, families who are looking for a cheap, affordable, reliable, you know, big family bus like that. Yep. But the silly thing I think is it's already selling here and they're so expensive. People grey import them. And I just had a like a quick look at some classifieds listings. If you buy one that's just been freshly grey imported, it's like well over a hundred thousand dollars. What? What? Yeah. Oh, wow. Hundred and five to hundred and twenty thousand dollars for one that is like fresh, it's brand new. Um, and for older ones, it's easy to fetch over $90,000, even for one that's been like decently used. Wow. Is so, that the Velifier? The Alphard Velfire? The Velfire is like, um, it's one of these weird like Japanese split brand things where they've ah. got like a sporty one and a luxury one. Gotcha. So like they do with the crown. They've got like the crown athlete and the crown Majesta. It's the same sort of thing. It's like, okay, you can pick like the sporty version or the, and they're like different body panels and stuff. Right. Crown athlete sounds like a contradiction in terms, but I'm not familiar with the car. <laughs> yeah. Whereas crown Majesta sort of, you know, makes sense. Oh yeah. Right? yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. All right, I actually well, did have a chance to talk to Toyota about um, bringing the Alphard in, and they basically confirmed that that's why. Like, they, they need that parts commonality with High Ace. That's why they right chose Granvia, right and sure. they would love to have it, but, you know, maybe the business case doesn't add up. I don't right. know. They're selling quite a few of them, whether they like it or not. <laughs> well, look, that's amazing because I'm going to bring my second choice up to first because the segue is too good to ignore because 
I'm nominating the Toyota Noah slash Voxy. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it, I would say, is possibly better positioned to replace a Tarago. Um, so two models, typically Japanese domestic market, they've just got different styling, but they're fundamentally the same. Both on the TNGA platform, seven mm -hmm. seaters. The second row is captain's chairs, but there's an Ottoman mechanism. So I haven't been able to ex explore exactly what that is, but you can also have an eight seat option. This is not a huge car. Um, it's sliding side doors. It has the full Toyota Safety Sense suite. There's a hybrid available, two liter with CVT, a 1.8 liter hybrid, front wheel drive or all wheel drive. And if you do a straight swap to Australian dollars without taking any kind of sensible import duty or distribution costs, it's about 24 and a half grand. That's where it starts. Wow. So even if you have to you know, slap a whole bunch of stuff on top, it could still be competitive and puts Toyota in a, a really almost unique position uh, to have that size seven seater in a people mover side sliding door type vehicle. And I've seen them around much as you say, Tom, you see the Alphards and uh, others all over the place. I've seen, I was like, what's that? Voxy saw the first one a few years ago and, and they are around. So there's seemingly an appetite for them. I really like it. That's fantastic. I think right. yeah, more people movers. Um, I am a huge, like, I guess it makes so much sense in Japan, right? You know, smaller cars, really tight spaces, sliding doors, mm. you know, reduces those car park bingles. Um, but, you know, I'm sure we could see more of them here and it would make sense too. And if you can make the car look half interesting without it being just bland and utilitarian, yeah. that's where some of the emotion comes into it and people are ready to buy one yeah. and mix, mix your practicality and function with some kind of attractive form. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. That's great. That's the first circle complete. So, Tung, we are back to you for the start of round two, please. I can't believe it's taken us this long to get into K-car territory, but <laughs> I will broach the subject. Um, Good. Uh, my next car on this list is the Honda S660. Yes. Okay. You know, yes. this is this is a car I've personally had my eye on for years and years and years and years. And for those that don't know, it's a two-seat convertible mid-engine rear-wheel drive. Um, and of course, it playing in the K car class, uh, the engine displacement, the size is 660 cc's, um, produces oh, 47 oh, kilowatts. It'd be power. brutal. Yeah, it's something like that. Yeah. <laughs> but you can get it in a manual. Um, and by all reports from overseas, it's a heck of a lot of fun to drive. I, yeah. You know, I, I'm in the, in the same vein as like the MX5 or the Toyota GR86 and BRZ, lightweight, rear wheel drive low on power, which means you're not breaking the speed limit to have a bit of fun. This Honda S660 could be, you know, uh, a cheaper or smaller alternative to those cars. And the interesting thing is it wouldn't do anything to upset Honda's aspirations as a premium car brand. You know, yeah. a, a really cheeky, fun, cool-looking little convertible like that could only complement that that kind of thing without taking away from it. Totally. Tom, you're. Yeah. I've heard you talking about this car before as well. I think you're a bit of a fan, no? I love one. They're, yeah. they're just yeah. everything about this car is awesome. Mid-engine, are you serious? And it's like yeah. a little turbo. It's yep. Okay, that's good. The Tom, styling Tom, of it is really cool. It's like, did I lag out? You did. Oh, you lagged just a bit. Rewind and replay. All right. Well, what I was saying was, I love it. I think yep. it's huge fun. Mid-engine rear-wheel drive is ridiculous for a car in that category. Yes. And I love the styling, how it's like a toy-sized NSX. And uh, Chung, tell me, 
Um, am I right in thinking there have been two versions? There, is it in its second generation? Do you know? Question no, without I, notice. I think I think it's only been one version. It has been right. facelifted. It has been updated. Okay. Get like you know Honda's got the what is the, the mod modulo mod mod the okay different car part catalog things that you can slap onto them and make it look all. Like, oh, it would be stuff. absolutely one of those. There'd be a whole floor at Autobacks with yeah. accessories just for six sixties. I'd imagine. Yeah. yeah, and you can yeah. actually like people have imported them to Australia, um, but they're hugely expensive. Like right. to buy one, it costs between. I'm just having a quick browse now at some classifieds. It's between forty and fifty grand. Okay, right. Yes, that's a substantial figure uh, for a relatively insubstantial car. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, uh, it was announced pretty recently that they're discontinuing it as well, mm-hmm. which is a bit of a shame. That I is a production shame. ended in March of this year. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, well, it should have, let's say it should have been here and uh, maybe the ones that are already here will only be more expensive as time mm-hmm. goes by because it's such an appealing thing. Great, Tom, back to you. Okay, well, I've got one, the car behind me, Toyota Rays, another small one. Um, this car is actually based on a Daihatsu. Um, yep. So it's on a different platform, which is like Daihatsu's version of TNGA called DNGA. Mm. And <laughs> That's How original. Oh, yeah. Who would thought? Uh, <laughs> but it's got a tiny little one liter engine. Um, it's CVT only, front wheel drive, uh, or you, in uh, Japan, you can get it as a uh, hybrid rear wheel, uh, all wheel drive, drive. Yep. Um, as well. Um, and that has the a, a three cylinder one, uh, one liter engine, or you can get it with a three cylinder 1.2 liter engine um, with hybrid as well. Um, I think this is cool because this is, a, like the Note, one of those segments that's been abandoned by mm. Japanese car makers generally. Like that affordable end of the market just doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Yes, we have Yaris Cross, but this is a little bit smaller and it's uh, not as expensive in Japan. Well, think about, I mean, think about Yaris. Um, mm. Yaris is still available, but its starting point is so much higher than it has been traditionally. There's, there's headroom, or sorry, room below for uh, a car like that for sure. I think it looks really cool too. Like it, it, like the Yaris Cross is like confronting, but it's not for everyone. Whereas this car just has cool, sporty styling. You know, it's it's funky, it's small, and it's really practical too. It's got like quite a bit of boot space for its its size, and it it I've seen one in a Daiba in Japan and actually sat it in, and it just feels like the like Hyundai venue rival that Toyota doesn't have anymore. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, it, I mean, it feels. Right in Toyota terms, in that traditionally, Toyota models creep in size uh, gradually over generations, and then something comes in underneath. Think about Rav Four, which started mm-hmm. out as a pretty small car, and now it's become much, much bigger than that. Uh, and then um, CHR arrives, and then that'll probably creep up over time, and something else comes on uh, in underneath. So maybe the raise is in their uh, sights as we speak. Who knows? We can only hope so. We can only hope so. All right. Now, I'm going to come up with my what was first, now second, the Mazda Bongo Van. (laughs) (laughs) This, this, you know, people of a certain age will remember the Mazda Bongo Van having been in Australia um, in times past. But there are two models, Standard and DX. It's a sliding door van. There's even a cab chassis version. The standard version has manual window cranks. Um, this is another model that I think has some Daihatsu roots, but um, it's it's Daihatsu seems to just spread itself pretty thin around the place. I understand the Toyota connection, but uh, 
Anyway, two-wheel drive and four-wheel drive. It's a 1.5-litre petrol, 71 kilowatts, 134 newton metres. You can get a five-speed manual or a four-speed auto. It's just over four metres long, um, and you get 1.4 metres of load space with the seats up in the van version, and 1.8 with the seats folded. So it's not bad in terms of the space it offers. And it starts in Japan at 1.8 million yen. So for a two-wheel drive five-speed, that's $19,200. Um, LED headlights and DRLs and taillights. You get manual AC, steel wheels. To me, it looks a bit like um, a Fiat Multipla of times past. It's got the kind of jutting out jaw on the headlights on the top of it. But I think you'd have to, to kind of have a dotted line down the Mazda office where all the upmarket aspirations sit on one side and then we're going to make some actual coin on a commercial vehicle over here. Because I think... Um, you know, things like Volkswagen's very big in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, even is Peugeot Partner still on sale? That has a certain amount of popularity. I think they could dive in there and do reasonably well with it. I agree, JC. I mean, I think that that segment of the light commercial vehicle market is often so ignored. You know, everyone mm-hmm. talks about utes and, you know, dual cabs and that, that higher end, you know, expensive side of things. But like there is this huge gap here that needs to be serviced by cars like the Mazda Bongo. Go van. And what a name. I mean, it just echoes with Aussiness. It needs to be, it needs to be in this market. Agreed. I love the idea of it. And I think, uh, you know, Japanese brands in particular do well with these things because people want that, you yep. know, reliability, that parts commonality. Yep. Um, and you're right, you know, that segment's so ignored. And then end of financial year comes around and suddenly we see all this surge of interest in like, you know, Toyota Hiace and Peugeot Partner and these other models that fall to the wayside during the year that maybe don't get the attention they deserve. So yeah, I think there's, I think there's definitely something in it. And there's other cool ones too, like Nissan uh, NV200 and stuff. Exactly. All these other like cool commercial offerings from overseas that just don't come here anymore. The the nice thing about this one, it has that gear shift in the dash type deal, um, which is nice. It also has what looks like leftover steering wheels from a mid-90s 929 um, actually on there, but it does have an airbag, thankfully. Uh, But it's a really interesting spec and the design is kind of cool. So I reckon it could, you know, seriously, I reckon it could do well. So. That is round two, done and dusted. We're at the beginning of round three, Tung. Start us off. All right. I, I couldn't help myself. I had to go for another K car. Uh, I reckon <laughs> the Suzuki Hustler. And I think if you've ever been to Japan, you would have seen this car before because anytime you go into a you know a station or a shopping center, it just happens to be like a Hustler, Suzuki Hustler display stand right there somewhere. Yeah. Um, I remember first when I first went to Japan, um, you know, years and years ago, uh, but now it has been made into a second generation car that was launched in 2020. Um, the styling, imagine sort of like an upright boxy, but very small, you know, crossover type thing. The second okay. generation car has been, uh, has drawn parallels to like the styling of the Jimny. Okay. It almost complements that car in a way. The Jimny would be the more off-road focused, uh, you know, sibling versus the Hustler, uh, which is the more city focused, you know, comfortable daily commute sort of car. Of course, being a K car, you know, 660ccs, very small, very tiny. Um, in naturally aspirated form, it's 36 kilowatts. Yes. Yeah. There you go. Yep. That's stunt so, pulling power right yes. there. Yeah. <laughs> um, no connection to the very handsome Hillman Hustler from the uh, 1960s tour, no? Nope, nope. No, okay. I thought there might have been some kind of inspiration lurking there, but uh, no, that's good. 
It's funny, Tung. I wanted to pick this and was told that somebody had already picked it. Oh. Uh, <laughs> they are just the best. Like, okay, you can look at the pictures and it sort of looks like this dorky little boxy thing, but you see it in real life and you're like, it's so cool. Like yeah. everything about it is cool. It's so interesting. All the body panels are like really sort of interestingly designed. Yeah. It's got cool tiny little wheels, which you can yep. get as steelies even, which yeah. I love. And it's hugely popular in Japan. It's everywhere in Japan. And I think you're right. The styling absolutely complements Jimny. I think, look, Suzuki, if you're listening, I love the Ignis, but this is better. Give yeah, us this cool. instead. I think you're right, Tom. Uh, it's so much about the detail. You can just tell that the do- designers and stylists have enjoyed their work you know that they've really gone to town and made um just little lines little use of typography um had fun with it and it shows in in the end result that's uh that's fantastic um all right now is it my turn it is my turn um i'm in the k car class as well because i think this is um an underrated uh and almost people are just leaving it alone they should be in there it's the honda n1 now, I don't know whether you guys have come across this one. I'd seen it before. I just love the look of it. So, again, it's the 660. It's a triple, um, five-door hatch, front-wheel drive and all-wheel drive, a stonking 43 kilowatts and 65 newton metres, but it only weighs 840 kegs, and it's only 3.4 metres long. So, it is tiny. It's a city car for sure, but there's an RS version, which is front-wheel drive only, it pumps it up to 47 kilowatts and 104 newton metres. Wow. But the entry car, if you, again, do the straight kind of currency, this is the most unsophisticated import (laughs) equation you could come up with, starts at 17 grand. And the RS is 21 and a half. Now, there's an original and then a middle model called the premium premium um, (laughs) and the RS. And the last two are turbos. So that's why the engine comes up a little bit. And again, it's just in that design detailing. There are steel wheel versions, but the wheels are black. It has a little chrome hubcap in the center and then a chrome trim ring around the outside. So it looks like some kid in the 70s who was doing up his car on a budget. Um, CVT or the RS has a six-speed manual. And I just think it's a fantastic looking thing. It has this big wide-eyed kind of expression. Um, And I love it. I think it would be great to see it out here. Just a shame that Honda can't bring in more models, right? For well, overseas markets. That's right. They're trimming, <laughs> trimming rather than adding. But um, I suppose that's uh, just more my uh, yeah. kind of emotional response to that car. Well, it's like, I mean, I, I think they've got the willpower, right? You know, they've, they've talked in the past, Honda Australia have talked in the past about sourcing their cars more from Japan now, relying less on Thailand. You know, yep. it does kind of open some options up, like, you know. It does. I suppose you've got to be frank about its prospects in terms of uh, a safety rating. Um, You know, small cars tend to struggle. They are very much for urban areas. Um, They won't be cut much slack uh, by the likes of ANCAP. Mm. Uh, So you'd you'd have to think that plays into it as well. But if they could get the price right, a city car only, first car buyers maybe, you know, who knows? I think think that's, you know, the same sort of thing. Like safety generally is a problem for all all of these cars it's, it's yeah. probably the main reason that we don't get a lot of them um you know it's yeah. not so much that they won't comply with our regulations or whatever it's not so much that you know it, it's just getting it 
a safety rating is a nightmare and it's hard and uh, all the systems are different and there's different requirements in Japan, which is such a shame because like, I really do love the Honda N1 as well. It's one of those kind of like Fiat 500-esque, you know, this little, it's got so much character. Yeah. And I love how the styling references the uh, Honda N600, which is like the pre-Civic uh you know uh, ancestor honda car so with the little yes. light round lights and the um you know bumpy and, dash and, and stuff it's you cool. know click into the accessories part of the website and prepare to be amazed you know in yeah. terms of what you can actually buy just from from honda uh for the car that alone what's out in the aftermarket it just seems like a ton of fun uh, actually it's not a ton it's 870 odd <laughs> but you know um it's fun <laughs> so i think that gets us to nine am i right no, I've got oh. one more. I've got, I've got a. Oh, did I jump in? I'm so sorry. Okay, I'll probably put us out of sync. Go no, ahead. That's all right. We can mix up the order. Okay, go so, ahead. Look, I picked two sensible ones, which we've had so far. Right, mm-hmm. two sensible ones, which probably stand a reasonable chance at selling some numbers yep. in our markets, and they would fill a gap in lineups. Um, then I thought, well, I'll pick a silly one, and my silly one is the Nissan Skyline. Now, I just mm-hmm. think that this car fills. A gap currently because the R35 is behind us, right? Mm. Mm. We still haven't got the 370Z or the new Z, whatever it's going to be. The Z. The, yep. the Z, yeah, that's yep. exactly what it's going to be. Um, and now, the since they've done the 2019 update of the Skyline, they've just gone full Japan with it. You know, they got rid of the Infinity styling because we knew that car as the Infinity Q50 for a while. But now it's got a Nissan face. It's got Nissan branding. It's gone full Skyline. And they've brought back a 400R variant, which is a twin turbo v6 but rear-wheel drive they they haven't even bothered screwing around with you know oh let's let's give it heaps of traction that's got not send all that so it's a stinger it's a stinger equivalent in some ways yeah exactly it's that kind of like halo sedan and i know sedans don't sell very well but in terms of like the history of nissan in terms of uh you know just nissan having that kind of aspirational halo model i think this one it can sort of sneak in there, surely. Just give us a couple of model years, you know? And in terms <laughs> yeah. of the failure of the Q50, yeah, okay. But I don't think people were that big on, on Infinity as a whole. I think if that car came here branded as a Skyline in the right specs, its oh. chances would have been a bit better. There's just enough history behind that. Well, badge. a Skyline outside of GTR, I mean, Skyline has such history here anyway. Mm. Um, there are a lot of devotees for the older models that come in as grey imports. Um, yep, I reckon you're onto something there. What about you, Tom? I don't think so. I'm going to no? be that guy. I'm okay, good. Guy that good on you. Puts his foot down and is like, no. it's not a skyline. You know, <laughs> skyline should be this sort of car and not that sort right. of car. And while, look, you know, it's got the performance angle and element, I, I think it almost would dilute the name, you know? Um, you know, just like just like there are rumors that Mitsubishi are going to do uh, like an SUV evolution, you know? Mm. Um like and they turn the eclipse into a crossover. Uh, I think kind of that skyline for this market would kind of take away from that history and heritage because I mean, what what steering has it got on it? You know, is it a steer by wire sort Ooh. of thing like the Q50 was? Yep. Because immediately that would you know really kind of separate the the what the skyline should be like a driver's um, you know coupe or sedan even. Um, to, to what it would actually be, which is a bit numb and vague feeling, mm. or was in the Q50. At yeah. Least. 
Yeah, yeah, too true, too true. Yeah. Okay, but that's a good one. All right, sorry I jumped in ahead of you, Tom. I'm feeling <laughs> terribly, uh, particularly crap about that. Sorry about that. Anyway, now. Not a big deal. So that, I think, brings us to the nine. I'm going to chuck in our 10th. And it's very similar to your S660 uh, Tung, mm. but it is the Toyota Copen GR Sport. Yes. It's been plucked from Daihatsu, quite obviously, but it's been given a bit of a GR makeover. It's a folding hardtop, front-wheel drive. It also weighs 870 kilos, two-seater. Um, it's the 660 Turbo Triple, 47 kilowatts, 92 newton metres. It's only 3.4 metres long. It has a decent boot, even with the top folded, but Recaro's, BBS wheels, uh, a Momo steering wheel, adjustable dampers, limited slip diff, tuned steering, stiffened body, and if you do a straight swap to Australian dollars, $25,500. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, even if you started to stack in whatever it takes to get that car um, accredited for this market, um, for Australian design rules and, and put it out there, it's not, it wouldn't be a stratospheric price. Toyota's really hard on GR at the moment. It's something they absolutely want to establish. A little hot convertible car like that, I reckon, would be amazing. Mm. It's been here before. Um, oh, the Copen has, for sure. Yeah, we had it once as Daihatsu Copen, I think, mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. the past. But yeah, no, you're right. I, I love this thing in the same way that I love the S660. I think, to be honest, the styling of this car is a bit more confronting <laughs> than even the S660. It's like like the boot line looks weird and it's got strange rear lights and there's yes. two different versions of it, like yep. with completely different styling in Japan. But I reckon this would be so much fun to drive. So I agree. I'm willing to put all of that behind me to get into one. I think, I mean, in its final days, Daihatsu was not a success story in this market and Toyota had to make the difficult decision to retire uh, the brand from this market. I don't know. I don't think Copens were flying out of the, the showroom either. But this is just a special proposition. You know, it's the GR Sport. Toyota would put some weight behind it. I think it would find a market that passionately wanted um, that car. It would be a different proposition to when Copen was Imagine here that as a lineup. You walk into a Toyota dealership and, you know, in the, in the GR corner, not only do you have GR Yaris, GR Corolla, Supra, GR86, but there's a tiny little Copen. GR Copen. Wouldn't you know? that be great? Yeah. It's the entry level to the brand that, you know, you get in, you love the car, you love what the brand, you know, entails, and then you step up into the, the higher models. It makes yep. sense. There you go. So, they are, that's our top 10. That's our 10 JDM cars that we think for fun or otherwise should come to this market. So it'd be great to, to hear what you think too. I'm sure we'll get some comments um, in YouTube or wherever you're listening uh, to this podcast. Uh, but it is time at this point to move on to our garage and the cars that we have in fact been driving uh, this prior week. Tom, could I start with you, please? It's a Ford but fill us in on the details. Yeah, it's the Ford Escape plug-in hybrid, um, <laughs> which is, we've been waiting for it for a while. There was a, a delay in bringing it here. Um, and I was curious to drive it, um, see what it brings to this kind of emerging plug-in hybrid space. There's quite a few models there now. And only a few weeks ago, I also drove the MGHS plug-in hybrid, the updated version of that. 
Um, in terms of charging, probably charges a little slower than, than I'd like as well, which is pretty typical of these midsize uh, plug-in hybrid SUVs because they, they tend to give you a, a lower speed AC charger when the battery is quite big to facilitate that electric range. But the interior kind of left me wanting. The software was was kind of poor and that, that, that was a bit of a shame. But, um, you know, as an overall product, it's okay. Okay. All right. That's good. Nice summation. Um, and thank you, Tom. Tung, what have you been steering? Uh, I'm going to nominate, I'm going to keep it uh, Japanese themed for now. Um, I was going to talk about the Honda uh, HIV, but I can't because it's under embargo. So <laughs> I will instead talk about the, the BRZ um, Great. that I had last week. Uh, yeah. Man, where do I even begin with this car? I, I've always been a lover of um, rear-wheel drive Japanese coupes. My first car was a Toyota Supra. I moved to a Mazda RX-8 after that and then got an MX-5. So, like, I'm very much, yes, Japanese sporty coupes are my thing. Um, I had the automatic version, which turns out didn't mind so much at the end. You I know, agree. It wasn't too bad. Yep. I, yep. Um, I commuted into the office, which is in the middle of uh, Melbourne, Melbourne CBD, uh, a couple of days last week, and um, having that automatic was an absolute blessing, I think, um, sitting in bumper-to-bumper traffic. But, um, you know, the big news about this car, obviously, the second-generation car is the bigger engine, 2.4 litres. It's now 170 kilowatts, 249 metres. And no difference between manual or auto, which is interesting yes. in this instance, yeah? Yes, yes, you're absolutely correct. And, like, you know, we've all read the reviews. We've all seen the launch reviews. Um, it's really fixed, you know, that flat torque curve. Um, it's it's so much punchier off the line, you know, no matter what gear you're in, just stab at the throttle and you've got a bit of power and poke. Um, and, but it's still undeniably fun, isn't it? Yeah, you know? definitely. I drove it and uh, only a couple of weeks ago. You talk about that uh, torque curve. It was crazy in the two litre. It wasn't so much a curve as sore teeth, you know, it just yeah, went yeah, yeah. All, all, all over the place. When you looked at it mapped out, it's it's much, much better in that yeah. regard. I just, and, uh, I just find you're not constantly having to, you know, rev it out, ring it out to, you know, have any bit of fun with it. You can literally just leave it in automatic, you know, poke at the throttle and away you go. And the standard rims, the 18s, you know, everybody that, that cared about it went to a plus one as soon as they got their, their yep. two-litre BRZ. So they've yep. listened to that as well. Yep. The wheels themselves are attractive and the better Michelin rubber, I think, um, makes it a more engaging and more enjoyable uh, proposition. Yeah. I, I do wish they kind of changed the interior a little bit more. It still mm-hmm. feels a little bit mm-hmm. like, you know, cobbled together in someone's backyard. He's like an aftermarket, you know, multimedia system that would just slap in there and that'll right. do, you know? Right. Um, I had the S version, which, you know, gets the, the Alcantara and leather sort of interior um, and the heated seats. Uh, don't need that. You know, you just right. go, go the Bogo version, uh, manual auto, take your pick. But the sad news now is that order books have opened up again for the BRZ, but the prices have gone up. So oh, I you're see. paying, you know, 1,300, at least 1,300 more for that car now than you were if you'd pre-ordered it, you know, months and months ago. I see. Well, Subaru yeah, is not silly. I, I they know when something's the, in demand. I got to do the launch review of this thing and, and it's, yeah, it, it's like everything has been improved in all the right places. Like the like suspension and stability is much better. The mm-hmm. uh, transmissions are better. The engine's just got just enough improvement mm-hmm. in power that you still have to drive it to enjoy it. But um, you know, it, there's less less uh, annoying driving required, but yeah, no, it, I think it's just improved in all the right ways. Even the interior, like I thought, the interior was like much improved, even though right. you know there are still elements of it that are a bit, you know. But mm. 
you know, for the price, for what it is, I think it's right. Good. Was, and was if, the if it's review on a track, Tom? Yes. I, I got to drive it back to back with the previous one. That's uh, on the site. That, that review is on the site. So check yes. it out. And um, if that's cobbled together in a backyard, I want to take my car to that person that's cobbling <laughs> it together in the backyard because it's a pretty good job. Okay. Now, um, I'll just finish this off with a Jeep Compass and, in fact, the Trailhawk. So. Uh-huh. We're talking low $50,000 bracket, 52650 before you put it on the road. Two-litre four-cylinder turbo diesel, nine-speed auto, 125 kilowatts, 350 newton metres, uh, the peak starting at 1750, so it's got that beautiful diesel turbo low-down torque. It's all-wheel drive, of course. Um, now, on the plus side, I think the cabin refresh is a win. That was relatively recently done, and like all uh, current Jeeps, um, and I've just been in a, a new model that will be uh, we'll be able to talk about pretty soon. Good storage. You get USB-A and C inputs all over the place, which I find really thoughtful. Um, and it's trail rated, but it really means something in Jeep world. Uh, you get underbody skid plates, the low range gearing. It has some fair income off-road um, uh, capabilities. But on the minor side, it's nudging Audi Q3 and Volvo XC40 kind of pricing when you're you're in that price bracket. Uh, Overall, the interior is just a little uninspiring. The visibility is quite a high belt line, and particularly around the back, the visibility can be a bit challenging. The lane keeping is really aggro. I had to turn it off. It had you jiggling the steering wheel because it's kicking you to either side of the lane. I found it distracting at at best and, and kind of dodgy at worst. Um, it's reasonably noisy. That's just a diesel thing, not, not confined to this car. The seats are flat. Jeep is kind of famous for just flat seats. There's not a lot of support, particularly in the back, which I think allows the seats to fold flatter, which is an upside, but you don't get a lot of sculpting or support um, in the back seat. 100,000 kilometre warranty. It's five years, but 100,000 kilometres, which is off the pace. Um, everyone's at unlimited Ks now. And it just feels a bit It feels a bit heavy. Um, so. Yeah, sum up, not a class leader, but it's going to be great off-road. If you really want to get to that, that you know, camping spot that you're determined to get to, uh, be hard to find a better vehicle. It's got that up its sleeve. But uh, I don't think it's class leading in most aspects. Yeah, Matt and I took this one for a spin the other day. Um, and uh, I've got to say, like, uh, there are some areas where it really has improved. Like, I think it looks great. I think, this, like, the software, you know, bring it back to software again the software's really improved that was like mm. a real weak point for or now um it, it actually like the old chunky thick steering wheel that i yep. thought that suited that car really well now it's got this like thin kind of like almost trying to be premium steering wheel and mm. I, I don't like it get rid of, bring back the old one okay um and right. some of the switch gear left a little to be desired but hey that's just me. there you go there you go I all really, right i really like the look of the trailhawk like you know, all the, the red toe hooks that they add on there, the, the bonnet decals and all that stuff. I think it looks fantastic. Yes. But you, I also wonder how many, you know, how many buyers are actually taking that car off-road really mm, going bush bashing. Uh, you know? Too true. It could be you just want to know that that capability is there. Mm, and mm. I think, you know, we've all been on Jeep launches and they don't muck around. They'll, they'll throw some pretty tough terrain at you and those vehicles will cope with it uh, exceptionally well. So it's just that back of the mind, yeah, I know I can go there if I yeah. kind of thing, you know, maybe. Um, all right, that's great. That's our garage. We're going to dip into comment of the week on top of the shipping container, the front of the car's guide forecourt. And last week we were talking about underrated SUVs. We had our top 10 list. 
And uh, Darth Melbius, who is somewhere in the Star Wars universe, I'm sure, says, good selection. It's a pity you didn't speculate on why they're underrated. So here's my subjective impression of each and why they are underrated in my view. So I'm <laughs> going to rattle through these, okay? Suzuki was the Ignis, such a niche brand. Uh, Ford, the Escape, interesting. Uh, simply the worst customer experience I've had trying to buy a Vignal. If it was not for range, it feels like Ford would pull a Holden. <laughs> um, now, Peugeot, and Mal called out the whole SUV range, the 2008, 3008, 5008. Perception of Peugeot is that it's European with the service expenses that come with European brands. Citroën C4, same as Peugeot, comes across as expensive to maintain and ensure these brands feel like they carry the risk of just upping shop and pulling out. Mm. Skoda Kodiak comes with the reliability stigma of the VW stable. Expensive and anything you want is optional. Uh, Merck, GLB, can't afford it. I think it's underrated, just not in most people's budget. Sanyon Carando, too risky. Brand is unsure of its own existence. <laughs> too much risk in how long they'll hang around and resale values. Mazda CX-8, it's like the bloated cousin. I can't think of a bloated cousin that uh, is in our family, but anyway, just meh and totally uninspiring. Mini Countryman, too expensive, tied to BMW, expensive to maintain and insure. Passat Alltrack, a pretend SUV. Just would never think of taking it off-road and stock is non-existent, which is ironic because he's obviously after one yeah. <laughs> to determine whether or not stock is there. But anyway... Good list. And thank you very much, uh, Darthy, for um, filling us in. Maybe you can uh, follow up that, uh, that comment with a comment on this week's podcast. Uh, precisely. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. But um, with that, we have reached the finish line. So I want to say thank you, Tom. Thank you. And thank you, Tom. Thank you. And thanks to our production maestro, Mr. Brett Sullivan, stepping into the not always fashionable shoes of Mr. Pritchard this week. Although I did notice he's wearing a T-shirt saying, real cars don't shift themselves. Uh, jump into the conversation, Cars Guides on Facebook and Instagram, or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. Listeners, please take a moment to rate and review the show. Five is the preferred number of stars. And viewers, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure to subscribe to the Cars Guide channel so you can stay on top of all our latest content. But before we go, today is a good day. The bulb finally burned out in my check engine light. <laughs> <laughs>